Welcome back to another episode of the Equity Matters Podcast. This is your host, it's JB3. And guess what? We are formally kicking off the Equity in Action series. As I mentioned in the last episode, we will have featured guests for the next few weeks talking about the things that they do, the boots on the ground feel when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I wanted to bring to you a variety of guests with different perspectives on how they have to approach their work and they found the benefit of adopting and adapting an equity lens. And so today's episode is special. I have my Shiro, someone that I learn from on a regular basis, who will be bringing you insights into Michigan's primary care workforce and how being comfortable bringing up the difficult topics has expanded her role and created a pathway for others now you probably wonder why i had to play on words now for a higher purpose and as you'll hear as we're listening part of the reason why she feels so comfortable doing the things that she does is because of her relationship with god i told you that there will be moments where you felt like oh james is preaching to me well today it won't be me but i do hope that you get the message so without further ado, I am proud to share with you all our first special guest on the Equity in Action series, my wife, Shalina Bell. Babe. Well, hello, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Shalina Bell. Those of you that don't know or may not know, uh, I am the wife, proud wife of James Bell, and I'm very happy to be on his podcast today and that you've selected me to talk about this very important topic. Um, there have been a lot of uh, just great things that have come out of this podcast so far, so I'm excited to see um, what's to come and hear um, other guests' perspective in their in their work because it's all um, things that needs to be said and that needs to be brought to light. So, what better time to do it now? Um, I am a program manager in the workforce development space in health centers. So our health centers uh, in the primary in the primary care world. So our health centers deliver um, quality primary and preventative care to over 700,000 patients in rural and urban areas in Michigan. And our, uh, my organization, we, we support our health centers in areas of policy needs, training and technical assistance, clinical areas, uh, different measurement uh, quality areas. Um, so again, in my area, I do the workforce development piece. So as we get more into the topic, I see a lot of things related to workforce, related to recruitment and retention in the health workforce space, um, providers that are, um, providing care to these communities, representation in some areas and not in others. So uh, it's a great space to be in. And it's a great lens that I have coming into this and just a lot of things that I've been able to observe. So I'm originally from Saginaw, Michigan. What, what? Saginaw, some Sag Nasty. <laughs> Rep your spit. Rep your set. And I have uh, a bachelor's and a master's both in health-related fields. I started off, I was going to be a physical therapist, but, and kind of do more of the direct care work, but I wanted to 
get into a space where I can make more of an impact on a higher level. I can um, enforce some policies and some different changes that are needed in um, all of these health spaces. Black medical providers, including family practitioners, psychologists, some in specialized areas, make up about 6% of providers in this field. So... Uh, you know, I definitely think it's a great space to be in, and I and I'm glad to be able to make an impact on this level because we need to increase that. We need we need to get into the double digits and more because we need the representation in in the health space. You know, because health is important and it's important in our communities. So we de- so the representation definitely matters. Amen. So. Could you explain just even in brief, what's the difference between primary care and like anything else? Primary care is just like your basic level of care. The uh, encompassing, all, all encompassing, you know, it's, it's very comprehensive and it's very necessary and it's very needed. And, you know, and again, speaking from the workforce space, um, specialty care is very popular right now. Uh, specialty care is where the money is, but primary care is needed because it's that basic care. You know, specialty care, you make more money because it's very specific. Um, but primary care is so necessary because like I said, it, it meets it meets your health needs. It's, it's assessing all of your health needs before you even know that you need some type of specialty care. Thank you. Thank you. Because, I mean, I get this all the time when people are talking about public health and primary care, like healthcare as a, as a whole, you know, how our roles are different, but all necessary when it boils up to the broader system. Definitely. Now you mentioned some statistics on diversity in the workforce. Like how do we even get there? You know, you're talking about a very small percentage of uh, providers of color. Why, what, what caused that? That's a great question. And uh, it's interesting because when I've asked the question of, you know, I always like, so I'm, I'm going to ask you some questions. Like I have no problem getting in a room and, and inquiring about the diversity, inquiring about your recruitment and your hiring, your practices. So I usually ask the question, like, where are you recruiting? How are you reaching out? Like, what populations? Where are you, where are you getting your people? And, and I've heard uh, sometimes, like, oh, well, Black people don't apply. Mm-hmm. Or Black people this or Black people that or whoever, you know, the population that you're talking about. And it's funny because it's like, well... Are you bringing it to them? Are you are you going into their communities? You know, do do they know that they can even, um, you know, have these type of roles? Because when you think about it, most often we see our black people in essential roles and those frontline roles. And besides the besides the idea of recruiting for athletic reasons, which based on their stature, which is a whole another conversation. That's what we see, and sometimes we don't know that we can be in these other positions. Sometimes we don't have the tools to get there. And let alone, you have tuition, standardized testing, which is supposed to weed people out. But those things are barriers in our in our community sometimes. That So we don't even think about those positions. We don't even think that those are the positions that we are going to be able to have because they're not in our grasp or in our reach. I don't know about you, but I've had, I've had teachers to say, oh, well, you can't do this, or maybe you should do this. And sometimes that becomes ingrained in you, so you don't think that to apply yourself to doing some of those roles. So 
not that I'm placing the blame on anything, but I think that that there's a maybe an intimidation factor or we're trying or we're not getting the help that we need or we don't know that they exist. I've been fortunate to know some organizations that have um, planted them, themselves in um, some underserved in urban communities to present the idea of health professions. I think it's one program that they start as early as elementary school and they let, it's like a, I think it's called like a mini medical school. So they, they take the students, they shadow the students around this particular medical facility and then they're able to see the different health professions, the different uh, positions that they could have. They put them in the setting. So it gets them in the mindset of, oh, I don't have to just be an athlete or I don't have to be just this if you want to, you know, cause any, anything is great, but just, it just gives you a different mindset of I could do this or I can go down this trajectory and this is how, you know, sometimes we may want to do it. We don't always have the tools to amount to the next level and to know how to get there. I think that that's, that's definitely a fair assessment. I reflect on my own experience of being in, undergrad and I was a pre-med student. A lot of people don't know this. And I actually dropped pre-med once, picked it back up. And then I got to organic chemistry and saw nobody that looked like me in the classroom. And I was like, there's, there's no support here. Like, I don't feel like I'll be able to make it. People don't understand the, the challenges that I'm experiencing. And mm-hmm. I don't feel comfortable talking to what's supposed to be my classmates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was also pre. I was also in pre-med courses. I was in a pre-med, you know, those college student groups on campus. But I was headed toward physical therapy, and I talked to the dean of the school that I attended, and I was like, "How many black people are accepted in your program and getting your program?" And a lot. He was along the lines of, "Well, they're not. They're not usually qualified, and they don't usually have high scores, so they don't make it in." And he gave me some roundabout thing that got me fired up, and I was like, "Well, you best believe." I'm going to be somebody. And I gave him this spiel. Like I was, I was all in my feelings, but I was like, you're not about to tell me I can't do something. And you're not, you know, like I was just passionate about that because how many other black people or brown people have you had this same conversation with, or just been so discouraging? Like you could have said, yeah, a lot of them don't apply, but that's something we really want to, you know, encourage. And how can we do more? And we're trying to look into changing some of this to make sure that we're being fair, equitable, and things of that nature. But no, that that was not my experience either. So I understand that, like that representation piece, people not looking like you. Why why would you want to continue going down that road if they don't look like you? And I feel like that's a that's some of a lot of our stories, just being in classrooms, uh, not with people that don't look like us, you know, and wondering, well, are are we really cut out for this? Can we do this? So it's it it can be very discouraging. Now it sounds like at least for some time in your life, there's been this passion behind diversity and ensuring that people are included. Could you describe how it shows up in your work currently? Yeah, so when I, when actually when I had my interview for this particular job and this position, I did, I never knew that this would come out for me and this would be a passion of mine and something that I would really be working toward. But I told them like, I want to, 
approach this this role with an equity lens. I want to look into hiring. I want to make sure that the population that we serve uh, is reflected in our boards, are reflected in our leadership. Because again, it's important. You see, we're, we're serving these underserved communities, primarily Black or impoverished or whoever we're serving, and you have all white boards or all white leadership and all white providers. And that's and that's that's very disproportionate. Like that 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 don't work. That don't work. And then we already have those health disparities as it is and the lack of trust with providers and and really them understanding our needs and, and taking our pain seriously. So well, you have to build that trust factor if you want to have a healthy community. So it's been my mission to inject that equity lens into my work. And, you know, I provide like training and technical assistance for the health centers. So I make sure that the, the training and the information that I provide has that lens. Like I've, I've had a black facilitator just come in and talk about diversity and put it in a palatable way, but a way that really was impactful and that left a lasting impression and left, and left them understanding their own biases and to see how are we going to look at our hiring practice moving forward. And especially with everything going on with the social unrest and all these issues that we're having now, organizations are even more so looking into their practices and their policies and having committees and having the conversation. And that's always my goal, like that they're having a conversation. You know, at first I was like, okay, everybody's just putting out these statements and just saying stuff, but to see the action behind it makes me happy because it lets me know that we are moving in the right direction. And yet it's going to, it's going to, we got a long way to go. I mean, we've been, we've been doing this freedom, this March for years, but I just try to make sure that, I'm doing my part. I always say that I can't do it all, but I can at least do my part. So as we are, again, talking about hiring practices and talking about health professions, students, and recruitment and retention of new students and of people in the positions, I try to really look at that um, with this lens and try to make sure that we have this cultural competency aspect in who we are hiring. Like, okay, they can have the expertise, but are they connected to the community? Are they aware of, of other cultural backgrounds and that type of training? Because I feel like that is necessary. You can, you can learn how to be a health professional, but do you know how to communicate with someone who is not like you? Do you, do you know how to understand someone? Can you talk to a patient without your own biases that you may think of their culture? Yeah, so that, that's, that's my role here. You know, everybody has a role, and I think that that's my role to just shine light in those areas, provide the trainings necessary to make sure that the, the cultures in these workplaces are culturally competent, are equitable, that you understand what diversity, equity, and inclusion is. And that's not just one person. You've got one Black person on your board, so now you're diverse. You know? So just really really using my voice for that. And it seems like a scary thing to do, especially as Black people. You don't want to speak up because you don't want to lose your job and you don't want, you know, to be looked at as that person. But again, we all have a responsibility. And that's my responsibility is to speak up and to make sure that people are aware and of these things and not to sit back and just let things slide if it's not, if it's not right. So right now, implicit bias training is like the, the thing to do. How often do you see things click, though, from thought to action? Because you mentioned, like, sometimes people attend a training, you're like, oh, there's something happening here. I need to change my behavior. How often do you see that connection take place? 
Uh, not often. And I think I, what I've gathered from that is if you don't deal with these issues on a regular basis, you can file them away and you don't have to revisit that because you'll never see it. It's not until you're impacted by it or something happens to, to where you really have to change it. And, you know, and like I said, I, I feel like we, we have a long way to go. But I mean, for me, I have to look at the progress. I have to look at where we were and where we are now and where we're trying to go. And I don't know how we're going to measure this. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm going to play a part in that and, and try to do what I can to move that along and hope to see some change and to see some difference. Cause I don't know what that's, I don't know what difference is going to look like. Cause to hire somebody black is not the change. That, that's not going to change anything. I think that it's helpful, but it's not going to change it only by hiring one person or hiring two people. If your mindset and if that culture is still biased and it's still that way, then that's, what is it going to do? You know, unless it's actually going to create that change. If you're going to look into your policies, look into your procedures, making sure that they aren't discriminative type of policies. Like you've heard of people talk about their hair policies and like people, like black people's hair not being professional, like things of that nature, really, really looking into that to make sure that your policies are equitable and they're, and they're inclusive to the people that you hire, to your, um, the work culture, you know, and then making sure that the people you hire, they want to be a part of that culture and they're not going to make things worse because you can invite somebody black into your, or brown into your organization. But if you have racist or biased or prejudiced people that are a part of the organization, that does not make them feel welcome. You know, that and that and that just gonna continue to perpetuate the issue. So you you brought up this idea of trust, and that is like a critical piece of the patient provider relationship. You know, if I as a patient don't trust my provider, I'm less likely to share certain information, which ultimately falls back on me and impacts my health. But it also impacts the provider because they don't have a chance to step up and grow. So I'm really curious about the relationship between cultural competence and trust. So if providers are not aware of their own biases when it comes to specific groups, how does that impact their trust or impact the trust between patient and provider? It, I think it impacts it, it greatly. It greatly impacts it. Um, I mean, because on one hand, like you said, the provider can't grow, but at the other, other hand, the patient is not receiving what they need. The patient is not going to tell you really what their issues are. They're already going to be closed off. And sometimes you have to think that, it, and it doesn't even start with a provider. You have to think about when, when that person walks in the door, is that front desk staff nice? Are they, are they asking how their day is? Are they helping them fill out forms? Do they need translation? Do they need a certain inclusive form or another type of form? So that starts there. So if you're already having a bad, say you have a bad front desk experience and you have a bad experience with your medical assistant and then you get to the provider, that, that setup is already, you know, a setup for failure. So trust and competency, the cultural competence goes hand in hand. And I think it, it it is necessary for the whole team that everybody needs to be aware of that, you know, for that patient. I think that that, that trust is, that trust is vital. That trust is vital to really improve that patient's outcome, you know, for them to trust, to tell you their issues and for like, again, for you to believe 
what they are saying and for you to give them the proper care and treatment that they need based on what they tell you versus you, you know, assuming that, well, this is not what they need or they they just want pills or whatever the case. You know, I've heard stories about providers that have put a, like a, a parent have, that have multiple kids and clearly you have to bring your kids to your appointment because you don't have anywhere else to take your kids. But that was a problem for the doctor. So the doctor's short with you and the doctor's like, oh, your kids are, you know, you need to have your kids here or you can't bring your kids. And it's like, that's a barrier. That's a barrier. So, you know, that, that, that mother or that father is trying to take care of their health but they have to bring their kids along. So now that's a barrier for the doctor. And now that putting that mom or that father in a, in a position of embarrassment or feeling like they're a burden, you know, when they're trying to care for their health versus trying to understand it. And that's what I mean by like that cultural competence, like talking to the kids, you know, I've seen doctors will communicate with the kids or give the kids a tongue depressor or something to keep them occupied. So those little changes can make, can really help that trust factor between that patient and provider by just showing that little bit of empathy and just understanding the situation versus, oh, you're too busy to be bothered by these kids or put off by children. So we've got a, a variety of listeners, right? I, I think this particular podcast has attracted a wide spectrum when it comes to profession. You know, there's people who are still in graduate school, there's people who are out in the field in their respective occupations. But I'm always interested in how do you personally manage the obstacles that come with diversity work? You know, there's there's not just the working with the client, but there's also the work internally. And so I'm always interested in how people personally take an inventory of where they are and how they ensure that they can keep going. So part of it is like a self-care question, but the other part is, do you have thought partners? Do you have trusted colleagues in an organization that's actually prepared to make change? Like just thinking about your environment as a whole, how does that come into play? In hearing you talk about this particular question, I hear in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I have I always check myself first. And I always know that I don't have all the answers, that I am not the guru and the point person for all things diversity, equity, inclusion. There's still some areas that I am learning and some areas that I, I need to brush up on and educate myself. So I try to, I always try to come as like, like the collaborative or like you said, the thought partner space and have the conversation and not be off-putting to where I feel like I know everything and, and you don't. And to that point, I try to be collaborative. I try to have the conversation as we are moving forward in our organization and we are making these changes and we are answering the call to action to make make things more equitable, to have more of a culturally sensitive and competent workplace. So personally, the self-care that I practice is to talk amongst my trusted group, my core, my circle, people obviously including you as my husband, talking about these issues, you know, in a safe space. So that's, so yeah, so that's my safe space. I have a safe space to explore areas that I am unsure about and that I don't, you know, know a lot by myself. And I think that that helps me, especially when, you know, the things around George Floyd, when that really happened, everything was so heightened. It made me mentally sick. 
I had to take some self-care days. I had to not go to work and not engage in some of the conversation because everything was just too emotionally charged at the time. So first, yes, taking care of myself, making sure that I don't consume too much and that I know when to take a break, especially social media. I had to take a break. I couldn't engage in that. So because I know how it would affect me. So I think first that self-care is just being um, in my safe spaces and talking to my core and doing whatever little research or education that I need to help me further convey my points. And then while in the workspace, I have the conversation. I I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I thank God though. You know, let's let's just have a moment for God because God has given me my voice and I am not afraid to speak up for the issues that need to be spoken of, you know, and I and I say it in my way. Like I communicate in in Shalina's way. And I I feel like I've gotten good responses from that because I don't I don't shy away. And I say what's on my mind, but I also listen and I try to understand, either understand the other point of view or hear how they are interpreting things. Because that helps me to feel like, okay, where is your mindset? Where is your head at when we're having these conversations? Because I found some people it's way over their head. And where you might be an expert in some areas, you have nothing to say about this, which makes sense. And sometimes in some spaces, you need to just be quiet and listen. But in other spaces, I'm open to hear it because I, I for me, I want to hear what you have to say. I want to hear where your mentality is because I can talk to you till you blue in the face about you need to be diverse and equitable and blah, 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 blah. But if your mindset is not on that path, you're never going to understand it. You're never going to be able to see the differences and understand it and make those changes. So I think for me, having, having those conversations and getting it out and not harboring it and keeping it in has helped me in the workspace and to, to let people know we can have a, we have a conversation about it. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to be real honest and be blunt. If you say something crazy off the wall, stuff, I'm going to let you know, but let's have a conversation because if we keep shying away from these conversations and we keep being mad about things and not talking about them, how are things going to change? I'm okay with having a conversation. I feel like progress has been made because I need to be at the table. I need to be in the room. I don't speak for everybody, but I need to be around. So I got to hear what you talk about. We got to, we got to be at these tables. You're just trying to make good trouble. Yeah, right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now we could probably talk all day, right? Because that's just what we do. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately we do have to conclude. Is there anything mm. that you want to drive home? Yeah. You know, I'll just drive home. Like be the voice and use your voice, use your voice in your spaces know that everybody has a responsibility and don't think that you can take on everything. Don't think that you can, everybody can make a big change, but you can make a big change in a small way. So wherever, whatever piece that you feel that you play in this big part of the puzzle, do that and do it to the best of your ability. I feel like, like there's more impact and more fulfillment in doing things on a small scale versus you trying to do everything in all areas you know, and being burned out because yes, you have to protect your energy and all of these things because it's emotional, especially when you're passionate about it, you know, that, you know, that passion can go, you know, you can go real left real quick. So you have to keep being control your emotion. You have to keep them in check. So yeah, just, just use your voice. Don't be afraid to use your voice, find your voice, use your voice and, and play your part. Now, of course, people are going to want to hear your voice after this. How do people keep up with you? 
Where you at? Who you with? What? Well, <laughs> I am on LinkedIn. Jimmy from LinkedIn. <laughs> um, Shalina Bell. And you can catch me on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter often, but follow me anyway, because you might you might catch a couple funny things every now and then. Um, B Shalina, that's B-E-E-C-H-E-L-E-N-A. I'm on Instagram, uh, Shalina underscore B. There I share a lot of inspiration, lifestyle type of things. That's that's my outlet page. So I don't talk too much about my workforce space, but you you know, you're gonna get a little bit of uh, inspiration, motivation, you know, some, some, uh, equity, some black love, you know, so if you want, if you like that type of stuff, you can catch me at Shalina underscore B. You about to get this praise. Do your day. All right. Hey. <laughs> well, Shalina, thank you so much in so many ways. Um, I know I've referenced at least on a few episodes, how important, I find it to just witness you in action. And there's so many things that I've learned from you just from being in the background or being part of your core the thought partnership. So thank you for what you do. Please continue to do it. Looking forward to what happens next with our workforce, especially with you playing a critical role in that. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed our conversation today. So thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Equity Matters as we kick off the Equity in Action series. And thanks again to our special guest, Shalina Bell, for dropping those gems as to adopting an equity lens when it comes to workforce development in primary care. This is only the beginning, folks. We've got some more and a long journey ahead of us. So if you want to keep up with us, we are on Instagram and Instagram exclusively, Equity Matters Podcast. Um, I think on there, even there's a little bit more of a curriculum, if you will. The content is really built around different social justice principles and social justice terminologies. So it's a it's a good resource if you're looking to learn more about some of the things that we talk about on the show. So as always, you already know what I'm about to say. Equity matters. <laughs>